We're going to begin a new study today uh, entitled Biography. I love the Biography channel. You learn some interesting things about people when you watch that channel, things that maybe you learned in history, maybe you didn't learn, maybe something you read in the tabloids, whatever it might be. But when you come to doing a series on biography of uh, eight great people in the Old Testament, we'll look at eight different ones over the course of the next few weeks and uh, their lives and their testimonies and their failures, their shortcomings and their successes and uh, why God used them and why, kept, why God kept their story in his inerrant, infallible word. There's a reason why these people are mentioned. There's a reason why their stories are told. Some of them have longer stories than others. But we're going to begin with Abraham. Abraham is a unique individual in the history of mankind. He is claimed by Jews, by Christians, and by Muslims. He is the only person that is claimed by the three major religions of the world. So Abraham holds a distinctive place because it is through the seed of Abraham that the Messiah would come through the promise of God that there would be redemption. He is mentioned more often in the New Testament than any other Old Testament figure. He is mentioned at least 74 times in the New Testament. So when you talk about what Christians need to understand, one of the things we understand is, need to understand is Abraham. Because Abraham teaches us something about faith, and he teaches us something about obeying God and walking with God. So let's look at the first thing, and that is the call of Abraham. We're going to be in Genesis, in Romans, and in Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews 11, we'll be in Romans chapter 4, and we're going to be all over uh, the passages related to Abraham in the book of Genesis. But let's begin in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. By the way, I love that sound. I preach in some places and I say, turn to a text and you don't hear anything. I love to preach here because you can hear people turning in their Bibles. It means it means something to you. And don't ever lose that. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, his name hasn't changed yet, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Now Abram lived in the land of Ur, and it was a central part of the trade routes of that time. And it, so much traffic and would have gone through there. It was a highly developed civilization. They had, uh, archaeologists tell us that they had great understanding of mathematics and of science. And uh, so they were highly developed intellectually, but they were also very pagan. They have many, many pagan gods, a lot of idolatry. And so God calls Abram out and into he calls him out of a pagan land to go into a promised land. He calls him out of a land filled with false worship 
to establish a people and a nation who would worship the one true God. He, he calls him out from his comfort zone. He's at home. He calls him out from his relatives, from his father's house, and he tells him to be a sojourner. Every spiritual biography begins with a call from God. If you have a spiritual biography, it began with a call from God. God spoke to your heart and called you out. He called you out as a sinner and said that you needed a Savior. He called me out one day and called me into ministry and said that I needed to take a different path than I planned in my life and to follow him in ministry. He calls us out and he always always calls us to something. So it's out of and into something. That's the way the call of God works. And so here is Abram. He's called to follow and he's called to obey. He is not given the opportunity, as we find in Luke's gospel, to say, me first. God expects him to respond. He has no other plan. He has no other idea. He has no other person in mind other than Abraham. It was God's call with Abraham. I'm calling you out. And now he calls for a response. Now, negatively, he's got to leave everything he's comfortable with. But positively, here's a man who does not have any children that God is about to bless. He keeps saying over and over in chapter 12, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless. Do you know that there are Christians today that God is trying to say to them, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless. But you won't get out of where you are to go to where God wants you to be, and that's why God can't bless. Because for God to bless, you've got to get up and do what he tells you to do. He's not going to bless disobedience. He's not going to bless a stubborn will. He's not going to bless a hesitant heart. Abram got up and went as the Lord had told him to. And so when we look back on this, we think, well, you know, Abram knew all that. That's why he got it. He didn't know anything. All he had was a promise. I'll bless Get up and leave everything you know, everything you're comfortable with, everything you're sure of, and go into a land, and I'm not even going to tell you how to get there. You're just going to have to go with me. And he moves with God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. The writer of Hebrews, some think it's Paul, some think it's Luke, some think it's a woman. The Greek is a little different than Paul's normal writing, so it's... uh, Probably not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews gives us a great chapter in 11, the faith chapter, the hall of faith, God's hall of fame and hall of faith of people who walked by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 8, he says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, sat down and debated about it. What does yours say? He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land. In other words, he never built a house there. But he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, For he was looking for a city 
which had foundations whose architect and builder is God. By the way, the only piece of land Abraham ever owned was the burial site for Sarah. That's all he ever owned. He spent his entire life of faith never owning anything but walking with God and obeying God. And so the thing you need to understand is you read Genesis and you think, well, we know what's going to happen. That's because we've read Romans and Hebrews. But see, Abram didn't know. He, he didn't grow spiritually overnight. When he got up to go out, he was not ready at that point to lay Isaac on the altar. First of all, he didn't even know there was going to be an Isaac. He wasn't ready. He was growing. And if you look at the life of Abraham, it, it really looks like a cost of living chart. You know, the cost of living is always going up. Every now and then there's a dip, but it's always charting upwards. You know, I remember telling my dad, Dad, if I could get a job making $100 a week, I could get married, buy a house, have a car, and live comfortably. And my dad said something to the effect of, you're an idiot. <laughs> it goes up. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, our grandparents cannot fathom what it costs to live today. But Abraham's life is going up all through this. Even though he has a dip every now and then, he has a failure in his walk. He's still on an upward progression. Let me ask you a question today. Are you on an upward progression in your walk with God? Are you moving forward or are you standing still? Are you on an upward progression in your spiritual pilgrimage? Are you always climbing, always moving forward? That's what Abraham was doing. And the sign of it was obedience. Every time... God gave Abram a new revelation or a new test. Abram obeyed, and he took a step up the ladder of faith. He continued to grow. Now, obedience is not easy, but here's the key. The step starts the walk. If you don't take the first step, you're never going to take the walk. You know, so, well, if God has show me where I'm going, I'll go. God's not going to show you everything. If he showed you some of what he's going to take you through, it would scare you to death. And you'd pull the covers over your head. But you've got to take a step. But if you just take a step, you're not going anywhere. You've got to walk. You've got to make progress in your life. And Abraham is called to walk out of his comfort zone and into a new realm of trusting God by faith. Then there are the failures. Now, if there's one thing you learn from Abraham is that failure doesn't have to be final. Abraham failed in a couple of instances here that we're about to look at, but it wasn't final. It, it didn't set him off the chart. Now, the thing that we need to remember is there are no superheroes in the Bible. There are no invincible men in the Bible. There are no perfect men. The God-man Jesus Christ is the only one. Paul made mistakes. Peter made mistakes. David made mistakes. Abraham made mistakes. The thing that I love about the Word of God is it reveals its characters, warts and all. It doesn't say Abraham was like this and then we read it and go, there's no way. I could never be like that because every one of us will find a situation in Abraham's life 
where we didn't quite cut it. We didn't step out in faith. And so God shows his heroes with their flaws and their failures to show that he can use anybody who's willing to be used. Now, here's the key. God was able to use Abraham because his failures were incidental, not fundamental in his life. His failures were incidental, not fundamental. It wasn't a fundamental principle of his life to fail. They were hiccups along the way. They were bumps in the road. And so God was able to use him. And when he blew it, God corrected him. And Abram usually learned the lesson. You see, here's the thing you've got to remember. Abram was tested in the areas where he would become the strongest his faith. Every time he blew it, he blew it in a realm of faith. And so he was tested. If he was going to be a friend of God, as the Bible calls him, if he was going to be the father of the faithful, then he needed to be somebody who understood faith. So all of his tests deal with faith. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust him in this situation? And every one of his failures were in an area where he became the strongest. So let's look at four tests. First of all, there was unexpected adversity. Unexpected adversity. Look at verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12. Verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt. Notice Abram went down to Egypt. God didn't say Abram, go down to Egypt. Abram went down to Egypt. By the way, one of the problems with Israel was every time they got in trouble, they turned to Egypt for help. And the only time it worked was with Joseph. Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. So in his distress, in his hunger, he panicked. Look at verse 11. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. Every man should say that about his wife. If you haven't lately, she should slap you. (laughs) When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me. There's a selfish guy. Because of you, honey, I just want to use you just for a little while right here, that I may live on account of you. Now, this disobedience is going to have ramifications. In fact, this is not the only time he's going to do it. But look at what he does. He deceives to save his own life. He uses deception to dishonor his wife. Tell them you're this so they won't kill me. He was willing to lie to sacrifice his wife's virtue. That's a failure. That's a failure. And only a divine interruption changes it. Look at Genesis 12, 17. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? 
Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away and his wife and all that belonged to him. Second test, incomplete obedience. Incomplete obedience. Go back to Genesis chapter 11 for a moment. Genesis chapter 11, verse 21. Abram's supposed to sojourn. Remember, he's supposed to leave his family. Important word. Leave your family and go. Leave your home and go. Genesis eleven thirty one. they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Terah was his father. By the way, he also brought Lot with him. That didn't work out too well either. Can I tell you something? Jesus said, if you don't love me more than father or mother or brother or sister, and yes, even your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. When God says to go, it's a militant call, and it is a missionary call. I remember when Lehman Strauss was here in 1990, somebody asked him about going to the mission field. And he said, well, you should go. Has God called you? Yes, God's called me to go to the mission field. He said, but my parents don't want me to go. They're afraid of me going to the mission field. He said, young lady, you should honor and respect your parents, but you should honor and respect your God first. Can I tell you why some people never move on with God? Because they can't ever move away from mama. They don't ever grow up. They're like Raymond Barone. They got to live next door to mom and dad who are idiots, but they keep going over and being abused by stupid parents. And they just won't move away. You know, if I was Ray Barone in that first season, I would have moved to Albuquerque. <laughs> and I would not have left a forwarding address. Parents like that, you need to be, not have parents like that. What happened? Abram is moving and his father says, this is as far as I want to go. And so the sojourner had to settle and wait for his father to die. How many of us have let people in our lives dictate how far we will go with God? We fear their disapproval. We fear we would get written out of the will. We fear that they won't like our choice of a career. We fear this or we fear that. And the reality is God may want you to live close to your family for the rest of your life, but if he says no, you better not say yes. You have to do what God says. Here's an incomplete obedience. By the way, Matthew 10, 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Some of you, the hardest people to deal with are people that you're related to. 
They're the toughest ones. They don't get you. They don't get you being committed to church. They don't understand you. They don't understand what you're about. It goes right over their head. Listen to what he says in, in Matthew 10, 37. He who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Fear was the third. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 11. Genesis 20 and verse 11. Here we've got another test. In fact, it's the same test that happened with Pharaoh, with Abimelech, the king of Gerar, and, and he does the same thing. In Genesis 20, 11, Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Quick principle here, old habits die hard. Old sins are often hard to forsake. Here's a guy, he's down the road, he's made the journey, he's learned the lesson, God delivered him from Pharaoh, God protected him, and now he comes right back to another king and he makes the same mistake and tells Sarah to tell the same lie. Number four, delay. Remember he was given a promise, you're going to have a son, and through your son, all nations will be blessed. Well, he got impatient. Sarah got impatient. She said, here's my servant, Hagar. Just sleep with her and have a kid with her, and that'll fulfill the promise. So Sarah's impatience became Abraham's impatience. And so they had a son. They ended up having two, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael, the firstborn, the son of the flesh. I will do God's will my way. Isaac, the secondborn, the son of faith, I will do God's will his way. God's will my way never works. It always has repercussions that you and I don't even want to begin to get into. But here's a man that because of delay, he thought it was denial. And so he acted. He was impetuous and he acted and he caused a problem that would haunt his family and him for years to come. Let's look at the test. These are tests are a vote of confidence. They're a vote of confidence. The first test is a test of family. Genesis 13. Genesis 13. Genesis 13 in verse 14. Now Lot is with Abram. He's with Abraham now. His name's been changed, so... Genesis 13, 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward, eastward and westward for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Now, here was the test of family. He gave Lot the choice of the best land. Lot, you get to choose. It was actually Abram's right to make that choice and to tell Lot what he would get. But he gave Lot the right to choose, and Lot looked at this fertile land. By the way, it's not fertile anymore. The area around Sodom and Gomorrah and around the Dead Sea is nothing but dirt and dust and hot. And Lot chose it because Lot was greedy. 
Now catch the connection. When Lot left, then God said. When Abram made the right choice to not be first in choosing, but to yield to his greedy nephew, which he didn't have to do, he humbled himself like a servant. Is that a picture of anybody you know in the New Testament? He humbled himself and let Lot choose. And when Lot left, then God said, look around. Everything you see, I'm going to give you. That leads to the second test, the test of trust in the plan of God. So Lot chooses the best land. Abraham has waived his right to choose, waived his rights to follow God's plan. And Lot gets taken captive by about five kings. Abram gets his men together, hundreds of trained men, and he defeats these armies and delivers and rescues Lot. Now, once he does that, he can take possession of everything those kings have. It's his right. It was the law of the land. The law of the land said if you conquer another king, everything of his becomes yours. Abram had the right to take the possessions of all the kings of the region and become an even wealthier man. Now, think about this. First time, shortcut. Sleep with a maidservant, have a child, we're childless. Go ahead and let's get this promise started. He made the wrong choice. This time, he could have thought, you know, if I take all the gold and everything that these people have, their servants will be my servants. Uh, their, their kids will become a part of my family. I will have a great nation just like that. And he didn't do it. He had learned a lesson, the test of trusting in the plan of God. And look at Genesis 14 and verse 22. Although he had the right to take all their possessions, everything they had, Abram said to the king of Sodom, and I, Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear you would say I have made Abram rich. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. When did God say that? After he said, I'm not going to take anything of yours lest you say you're the one that did it because I'm trusting in God for my son and for my nation and for all my needs. There's the test of choices. Number three, there comes a conflict between Hagar and Sarah. And so Ishmael is sent away and Genesis 21 tells us that it grieved him to send Ishmael away. It was a test of choices, but he could not live with this conflict in the home. By the way, this conflict still exists. It is through his faith that Isaac came and the line of Abraham and the line of David was established and Messiah came through that line. It is through his unbelief that Ishmael came the greatest tormentor of Jews and Christians to ever walk the planet. These are the consequences of unbelief. They are not minor. 
If you fail to trust God with your finances, if you fail to trust God with your children, if you fail to trust God with your job, if you fail to trust God in your decision-making, your failures will not have minor consequences. It was just one kid, and his heirs seek the destruction of everyone that will not bow to Muhammad. What will your unbelief cost you and your family and your future? The test of patience. He and Sarah had a child when it was impossible. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. Romans 4, 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, that wasn't dead. He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham knew, I'm not physically able to have a child. My wife is not physically able to have a child. But God's promised us a child, so I'm going to go with God on this one. I'm going to believe God on this one. Now let's come to the triumph. Genesis 22, one of the great passages of Scripture. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham's problem in Genesis 22 is spiritual more than moral. It's how to reconcile a command to kill your son with a promise that through that son, all the promises are going to be fulfilled. Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham... By the way, this test would lead to a triumph. All these tests that we're about to look at are triumphant. He passes and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. First of all, it was a test of obedience. Abraham got up. He arose early. He didn't wait. He didn't delay. He didn't say, you know, I'll, I, I need to probably run by the ATM and, and probably make sure the yard's all trim and neat because this journey's going to take a while. I mean, he just got up and went. He left. It was a test of obedience. He passed it. It was a test of faith. Look at verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. Notice what he says. And we will return to you. I and the lad. 
Now, based on what God said a few verses earlier, it's just going to be Abraham coming back. God had not said, lay him down there and I won't make you kill him. God had not said, lay him down there and I'll raise him from the dead. But somehow, Abraham's faith had grown to the point where he believed in resurrection, although he had never seen it. He said, I and the lad are going and we will worship, make the offering God requires, and return to you. Hebrews eleven nineteen. he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him as a type. Thirdly, it was a test of love. It was a test of whether he loved Isaac or God first. It wasn't that he didn't love Isaac. The test was a test of love as if he loved God supremely. If he was willing to lay down the very thing he was promised on the altar and lay it there so that God could raise it up if he chose to do so. But really the test was a test of Abraham, not a test of Isaac. Now you got to admit, any kid that will let you tie him up and lay him on an altar and raise a knife over him, has got to have something going for him. He's learned something from his dad. But here's this test. And after he passed the test, look at verse 12. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. He's already passed the test. He's tied his son up. He's going to make an offering. He says, God's going to make a way. I don't know how, but God's going to make a way. God said, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham, verse 15, a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing. I have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the seed which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. <laughs> You've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Isn't that exactly what God did for us in Christ? He did not withhold his son, his only son for us. And it was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Here was a man who went to a point in his life where he was willing to give up the very thing he loved the most on this earth to prove his love for God. And God blessed him greatly. Now, I don't want you to get weird theology out of this, but I want to tell you, in a part of the world where it was total poverty, God made Abraham rich and blessed him. Can I just give you a thought before we close? 
No matter what happens in this economic cycle that we're in with the price of gas and houses and everything else, can I just tell you something? And this is not a prosperity gospel statement. Hear me clearly, it's not. If you say I said it, I'll call you a liar. But I will tell you this. God meets our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And he blesses us according to our obedience. So, if in an economic downturn you start to say, well, I'm just going to have to take some of the money I'm giving to the church, and I'm going to have to take some of what I'm giving to generations. I'm going to have to, because we've got to make ends meet. I, maybe you don't need to go to the beach as much. Maybe y'all just sit yourself at home, put a lounge chair out in the backyard, and sit there for a while. Because I'm going to tell you, you start trying to justify disobedience, and you'll never, ever, 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 ever be blessed. Blessings only come to the obedient. Now, you may have enough to figure out how to disobey God and still feel like you're blessed, but not the kind of blessings this book talks about. Abraham believed God. Why? Because he took God at his word and God blessed his faith. Everything we do in life is an act of faith. You crank your car by faith. You drive down the road by faith. You order food in a restaurant by faith. You sat down in that seat by faith. Everything we do is faith. Why is it the one area we have a hard time exercising faith is in our walk with God? Because we'd rather live a lie and live in Egypt in fear than sojourn with God and find the blessings that are multiplied beyond our ability to measure. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. What is it that you need to trust God for today? What is it that you need to believe God for today? Is it for salvation? Do you need to believe God for salvation? Understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? Is it for your family? Do you need to believe God and trust God for your family? Are you so clinging to your family and so trying to control your family that you can't trust God with your family? Is it your job? Is it your finances that you're having a hard time trusting God? What is it that you need, need to believe God for today? Take the principle that we talked about just a moment ago. When and then. When we make the right choices, then God speaks and intervenes for us. When we do what God says, then God blesses. God does not bless when we don't do what he says. The scripture says it simply this way. Knowing what is right to do and not doing it is a sin. So I'm going to ask you as they begin to sing for you to step out from where you are. To come down and kneel at this altar. To take whatever it is that's standing between you and trusting God. 
whatever you're holding on to that you need to let go of, whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to step out and come right now. As they sing, you come.